Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Risk Podcast. Um, today I'm speaking with the well-regarded Nirvana Fahadi. Nirvana is a RegTech pioneer. She's a thought leader, an author, a keynote speaker, and a recognized power player in the KYC, RegTech, and AML scene. Today we're going to be discussing a number of topics from the future of RegTech, um, the impact COVID's had on this space, and diversity and inclusion. But before I go ahead, for the listeners' benefit, Nirvana, can you give us a brief background about who you are and what you've been doing for the last few years? Sure, absolutely. So um, I'm Nirvana Fahadi. Um, my background is 20 plus years in financial services with always a risk compliance regulatory hat on. I've been very fortunate in my career that I've had the opportunity to work across multiple products and instruments and sectors, whether it's been on the buy side or the sell side or advising on regulations and advising regulators on regulations, writing and helping to form and shape some of the regulations in industry. Um, I've spent a lot of years working in industry with industry stakeholders. Um, I think prior to my previous role, um, I was the global head of regulatory reporting for KPMG. And my last official role was at Hitachi as their global head of regulatory technology, uh, where I worked, I owned uh, the business for that. And we worked on creating solutions for line of business um, organizations and looking at the compliance AML reg tech kind of sector. So that's kind of what I've been doing. Amazing. Um, I've been lucky enough to know you since your KPMG days and obviously you've done right. a lot since then. And, you know, I've seen a lot of your, you know, podcasts and the videos you've done online. <laughs> Jump into a question which you've been asked probably five million times. What is RegTech? Well, first of all, I'm glad you call it RegTech and not RegTech because after so many years, people are still calling it that. We have regulation, not regulation. And, you know, people are bored of me saying that, but it still comes up. So RegTech is something, um, you know, it's not new per se we've had it in other sectors like you know um, biotech and other industries but in financial services it kind of started um, a few years back where it was the use of technology to solve for regulatory issues and problems so really putting technology at the forefront and embedding it at the development stages of the products to ensure that we can create robust compliance solutions, take away the costs, uh, cost burdens associated to compliance, the resource burdens associated to compliance, and of course, the manual and tactical nature of things. Um, and, you know, I think for me, it kind of started um, at the advent of MIFID II which was a regulation in Europe, Markets and Financial uh, Instruments uh, Directive and Regulation, which came out and was a recast uh, of or an already existing regulation. And what happened there was the scope was increased so much, but the burden on um, organizations to catch up with this and to implement this within the infrastructure of their current legacy systems that they had at the time was um, very, very difficult indeed. A lot of their systems were built on um, things that were created in the Thatcher and Reagan era, you know, God, uh, dinosaur ages, <laughs> <laughs> if, if I'm allowed to say that. Uh, and we're still running the operations of these organizations. And so 
you know, really fragmented systems and silos, etc. And suddenly there's a regulation that needs, you know, um, a lot of overhauling to go uh, to happen. Um, and a lot of systems and processes and compliance were so manual and tactical in nature. So how do we do this? How do we address this? How do we leverage technology to help us with that, you know, as, as a previous in my previous um, former life as a compliance officer or someone in operations I always have the challenge where you know I would have to look at trades on a daily basis for example and um, using uh, the innovative or um, at the time we thought it was a cool thing but you know excel vlookup spreadsheets to look at hundreds of thousands of uh, uh, trades a day so it was really trying to solve for and the problems that i faced in my own career that kind of made me head in that direction of course technology is leading the way we're in the fourth uh, industrial revolution where technology is shaping the direction of uh, where we're going and in order to leverage that and how can we best do that and to really um, save time costs and um, and uh, invest our time and uh, intellectual capital smartly by using technology so i hope that kind of answers some of no it does it really does and, and we, i think we've seen the transition of that over the last four or five years since it became prominent on the scene yeah um, and a lot more companies financial services firms have used it quite effectively mm-hmm. um but i mean I, I have to mention it obviously covid that period mm-hmm. um how i mean how's remote working impacted the use of regtech because i assumed and correct me if i'm wrong it may have accelerated the use of regtech slightly well, you know what? Um, no, there are, nobody predicted this was going to come, that we're going to be facing a global pandemic um, of such massive proportions. You know, so many hundreds of thousands of unfortunate deaths um, happening. But we're in a time where it's um, uh, in a situation where we're kind of all in it together. It's not just happening in one region of the globe. And we've been hearing th- things in terms like digital transformation. Everybody had a digital transformation. God knows from, from the late 70s, probably program going on in their organizations. But really this transformation has become a reality in terms of um, our timeline has been accelerated because of what's happened to really this time, you know, we have to embrace it because it work life, as you know, as we know, you know, we're, we're doing a Zoom call at the moment because, you know, we're in lockdown. Um, everything has changed and it's put a significant amount of pressure for us to, um, you know, the, the organizations that their infrastructure has been extended from brick and mortar buildings to people's homes because they're working from home now and that's the only way that they can do it so in in that context something like regulatory technology is there to help uh, ensure that you know guidelines are adhered to that again at the development stage of the products and the processes and policies and procedures that companies are putting in place you know there are parameters where they're monitoring you know, trading um, activities or voice monitoring activities and that they are, um, they have the right compliance systems and controls procedures in place outside of the brick and mortar traditional buildings. And um, like I said, you know, our timeline has been extremely accelerated. So mm. it's it's a good thing for RegTech because that's what's needed. And if you look at some of the things that are coming from the regulators and um you know, um, uh, 
around, you know, you have to make sure that you're creating policies and procedures that um, look into how people do their work activities at home. So, you know, that was never done before. You know, we're suddenly having to go into people's home environments and what have you. So um, it's definitely, you know, we've been impacted highly. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a positive thing for us that this was something that already was kind of on the scene, as you mentioned. But I think the significance of it, uh, when it first came out, everyone thought it was a trendy buzzword. And I said many years ago, no, this is here to stay. Uh, Not just because of the pandemic, obviously, as I mentioned, that's accelerated our timeline, but, you know, uh, things like the Cambridge Analytica Facebook events that happened and the outfall of that. And, you know, we're seeing more sophistication in terms of technology, but also criminal activity and technology happening, too. So things like RegTech help us. You can never predict the future. But it helps us put the correct parameters in place for us to make sure that we have a compliant business, because at the end of the day, compliant business is a good business. And that's what you want. And it enables you also to focus on your core business uh, rather than just, uh, you know, financial institutions. And that's the context that we're talking of now. Their core business is earning revenue, earning money, right? Compliance is not their core business. So technologies that um, are reg tech driven enable organizations to actually um, be able to focus on their core business and, you know, uh, have something that helps them to have a more structured compliance process in place. No, that, that does make sense. And I have seen a lot of financial services firms look at it in that way as an enabler rather than kind of a restricted parameter of what they can actually do to earn revenue, which is great. Um, And I think you touched upon it slightly there was the the blending of categories in this space. So it's reg tech, but blending it across AI, cybersecurity, fintech. Um, So looking at that kind of blending of categories, if we kind of specify reg tech into the four key areas, regulatory compliance, risk management, KYC and monitoring, which of these do you think is most likely to be streamlined this year or in the future through the use of AI? So I have to I have to kind of take a step back here and uh, and address what you said. I think regtech is something that overrides all sectors and industry. So any sector and industry that has any kind of regulation around it, which is everything pretty much, reg tech applies to. So it kind of sits above that because people say, oh, it's a subset of fintech and what have you. No, uh, we're using technology to solve for regulatory issues and this is transferable to all sectors not just financial services now when you're using it in the context of the different types of technologies whether it's machine learning or ai and um, you know blockchain and what have you you so what you're actually doing is taking the regulatory uh, parameters or um onuses that you have and embedding that in the product that you're developing so that it actually it does things in a compliant way and it actually um, is able to address your requirements in terms of it being streamlined and the types of products that are out there. Look, one of the key things, Nader, is um, data. Data is the core of everything we do. It's, you know, people call it the new gold and it's it's the most, you know, uh, sought after commodity and what have you, whatever you want to call it, uh, the new oil or the new gold. It's key. It's key and all these organizations, whether they're in financial services, healthcare, telco, media entertainment have masses of data. Now, 
what shape is this data in? And I'm going somewhere with this, so bear with me. The data in a lot of these organizations is a mess. They're in silos, there's toxic data, there's dark data, there's all sorts of data, et cetera, right? So people don't have a handle on it yet. And the machine learning or the AI or the technologies that use blockchain and what have you, if you, they're based on the use of data, obviously, you know, and organizations have all these like data lakes and what have you, I call them data swamps because they don't know what's in there. It's a jumble. There's a whole load of um, data that you can't make head nor tail of it. But these technologies require that data enable for them to produce the required desired results. Now, if you're putting garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. So in order for these systems to become more streamlined and to become more effective and do what they need to do, the data quality and the data governance structures within organizations has to be um, good, of good quality. So it can't be substandard and things missing because that's when you're going to encounter problems. So the majority, you know, of what these the success of these solutions is going to be based on is the quality of the data that you're able to put in you know and obviously with the vendors uh their experience of that sector and line of business as well you know you've got i've been on the light side or the dark side depending on the day in financial services and the tech side and um you know you've got vendors in tech where they've got all these sophisticated technology but at the same time they have no understanding of the client's needs and their pain points and their business, um, you know, end-to-end business structure, and they're just trying to sell them a product. So that education needs to happen on on both sides. Mm, no, that makes sense. Thank you for your clarity on that. Um, I had a feeling I might have not worded it correctly. It's all right. <laughs> so <laughs> Don't before, worry. Before we move on to diversity and inclusion in this space, um, I just want to touch upon fraud ever so slightly. Sure. So fraud specifically linked with KYC and AML is still present in banks. So yeah. is is RegTech the only alternative available for financial institutions to comply with regulations effectively? Well, in terms of complying with regulations, um, absolutely, it needs to be embedded, As again, as I said, in the technology development stage of the technology. It's something that can certainly enable uh, these technologies to be successful for organizations. Uh, but you can't base everything on just the technology. That intellectual human capital will never go away. It just needs to be redirected. So you're going to need someone to be able to hit a kill switch if need be because that machine again based on the data and the input it's getting might not always be able to spot some of the trends no matter how sophisticated it is and I've encountered a lot of that and in terms of fraud again as I touched on briefly um, earlier uh, you know we're seeing a lot more sophistication in that place I've been a victim of it um, myself uh, last year you know my uh, one of my social media accounts got hacked into and suddenly within a matter of seconds all of my thousands of connections were spammed with uh, you know and it was at the beginning of the pandemic so you know uh, an email that sounded like me it, you know it was like as if I'd written it myself saying you know guys I've got this new initiative if you're working from home during COVID you know you can earn money like this and what have you and suddenly the, the only way I found out was getting inundated with text messages and wanted people wanting to know about, you know, the opportunity that I had. And I was in the about my first bout of COVID myself. So I was just like, what is going on here? Um, yeah. And once I clocked on, it actually took that social media company uh, 48 hours 
to give me access to my own account to wow. solve the issue and it, whether you know whereas it took like literally two seconds for everybody to get a mass email they couldn't send another mass email on my behalf to tell everyone hold on don't open the link you know this is not me um it took 48 hours for me to gain access and during that time my reputation was on the line uh but this was a really uh sophisticated hack as it were and then I had to jump through hoops and loops to, you know, verify my identity, send my license, it wouldn't upload and, you know, all this kind of stuff just to have access to my account. So the sophistication of fraud, um, and that's just a simple example, there's much more, you know, uh, different, more sophisticated ways. So criminals are getting more sophisticated as technology gets more sophisticated too. I mean, firstly, I'm glad I didn't get that email because I definitely would have I'm sure it. you did check your email. I would have followed the link. I would have like, Nirvana knows exactly what she's doing. She's onto something. And I would have followed Sorry. it right, right down the fire. For me, it was the personal impact that it had was, you know, it was violating. And also thinking of all the people that had clicked on it. And, you, you know, at, to, at a certain level, you have a certain responsibility towards people. Mm. And unbeknownst to me, they'd been clicking on this thing. And it just made me feel so embarrassed more than anything that, um, yeah. oh, my God, you know. So that kind of sense of responsibility was triggered. And it's like, you, Horrible. you can't, Horrible. I can't. <laughs> yeah. Two days of just pulling your hair out, I suppose. And hoping yeah quickly comes to an end but exactly. so um moving on to promoting diversity in this space promoting diversity in reg tech now you know that's something obviously as a business we, we're naturally quite passionate about um and we're working with a lot of financial services firms and different teams that are looking at this more closely you know for the last year and, and going forward so particularly gender diversity what, what more can be done? I mean, I'm familiar with very vaguely with the RegTech women events that I've seen pop up, but more than that, beyond these events, what, what else can be done? Okay. So I, I'm not going to give the usual spiel. Uh, my view on this is slightly different. It might be slightly controversial. But um, first of all, in the reg tech space, um, it's very refreshing to see you have a lot of startups with women at the helm. And I think that's wonderful. That's fantastic. You see a lot of women who've had a background in financial services and they've started up their own com companies and they're very successful and they're moving ahead and, you know, holding the flag for all of us, which is fantastic. But my view has always been, you know, if you're going to do something, do it because the intent is there. Do it because the feeling is there rather than you just ticking a diversity box. And that's where we kind of tread a really thin line. And unfortunately, my experience has also been that a lot of organizations tend to just want to tick a box and get on with it. And this has been through personal experience, too. Um, now, when I um, go into a role or when I go into um, a meeting or what have you, I don't go into that meeting thinking with my gender that I'm a woman and I deserve to be here and that's that. I've always, if I was going to do that in my career, I would never have gotten any, anywhere. And I, I might be wrong in thinking that, but the way I look at it is I'm an individual, I have certain level of skill sets. And this is what I bring to the table. And that's the way you need to look at it, whether I'm a woman, whether I'm a man, whether I have different color skin, religious background, sexual orientation, what are my unique skill sets? And throughout my years, I've had, you know, people of every culture, 
you know, background, diversity background, etc., working for me, reporting to me. Um, and I didn't think, well, you know, oh, this person's a woman or that person's a guy. So they're going, I had to look at the individual. And I think what we need to look at is really, um, and, and, and the current circumstances have led us to that. Look at the individual as an individual, look at their skill sets and apply that as a leader. That's the best way, in my view, you can lead a team because you need to be able to spot what that individual brings for you. And believe me, I've had, uh, you know, motley crews working for me at times uh, that literally they were given to me because at the, the workforce didn't know where else to put them. And they were like, well, you deal with them then. And I was like, okay, you know, and I learned, well, this person actually isn't good at writing um, emails to clients, but they're fantastic at researching. So that's what they're going to do for me. But that person can do this. You know, these are just examples, but really looking at the individual and um, bringing out their skills. I think as a leader, that's what you need to be, be able to pull out of the people that work for you and uh, to make them effective and give them that freedom and space to be able to express themselves and be more creative in that in that sense as well so you know maybe I didn't answer your question in that sense you did but... no you really did because I can relate to that I've worked in organizations where you know there have been good leaders and they've looked at your strengths and how they can maximize your strengths rather yeah. than try and develop your weaknesses or pigeonhole you into a box that they that is empty exactly. and, they feel like yeah. they're empty. and I, I always use this example and forgive me if I'm I, I just uh, talked over you but you know um, I was asked to do an, uh, a leadership woman in leadership uh, conference at one point and I used the same example and they were like you know um, what are your thoughts and I said well my thoughts you might not like them the fact of the matter is there's about 350 400 people in this room there's three men the rest were all women you know, these men need to be kind of ambassadors for us. Um, these men have mothers, sisters, daughters, and they need to be aware of some of the challenges women face. And and there are, you know, let's let's be honest, there are challenges. I'm not negating that at all. Um, whether it's based on your sexuality, your gender, your um, background, and you know whatever. But when people are aware, generally people when they hurt your feelings or they do something it's not out of knowing it's out of ignorance that that happens unless they're real real you know <laughs> son of a guns um, <laughs> so it's out of ignorance so it's, it's educating them it's enabling them to be able to uh, look at things in a better way that kind of helps feed the collective as it were and help everyone no that's that's a very refreshing insight it really is and um I think it's it's good to look at it from that perspective and you know I, I work I actually worked with a client last year who asked me to just send profiles across without mm -hmm. the name without the university without anything that can give any indication as to what gender or kind of you know preferences this individual have yeah. just so they can quantify them on their own merit yeah. um, and you know they wanted to have the ghosted CV um, sent yeah. across for that reason and it just kind of negates gender bias or any sort of unconscious bias that they might have by doing yeah. it that way. But maybe in a few years, a lot more kind it, of. It's great. But, you know, if, if you go and apply on a job right now and, you know, they, they take you into a link and you go on their website and you answer all the questions and everything. And um, then suddenly you're like, well, um, you know, are you female, male or other? Are you, um, you know, white, black, this, that, and the other? And you're still 
doing that you're still ticking those boxes so really it needs to be first of all a, a top-down culture that needs to be ingrained in the organization mm -hmm. ingrained in the organizations not just ticking a diversity box I'm, I'm really call me jaded I'm getting really you know it's just like are you doing it for a purpose I was at one point asked to join the organization an organization a very reputable one as one of their NEDs and um I turned around and I said to them, are you employing me because of me? And am I going to have a voice? Or are you just employing me because I'm a woman and you need to tick the boxes? And I'm, you've known me for years. I'm very much a spade, calls it a spade. And, you know, it doesn't always go down very well, but that's who I am. And, um, you know, this, the, the gentleman was a good friend of mine. said, so to be honest with you, you know, uh, our demographic is um, middle-aged white men. We, we need more diversity on that. I said, you know what? thank you but no thank you if I can't have a voice and I'm just there to look pretty then uh you know or ugly <laughs> you want to call it. um that's that's not who I am and I, I can't function like that you know me I'm very outspoken I need to you know I've got a mission I've got passionate about what I do and I, that's what I need to do so um that doesn't work and more of us need to as leaders to kind of bring that culture and cultivate that culture in our organizations if we're ever going to get anywhere and bypass mm -hmm. all these uh, stereotypes and tick box activities. So it's like addressing the elephant in the room, isn't it? It's yeah. crossing that off so we can start, you know, a, a strong working relationship. And yeah. I'm always the first one to address the elephant in the room. There is no I elephant. Can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Well, Look, I know you're rushed for time, but it was Thank great you. speaking to you today. Definitely want to do another podcast soon. There's so much we can discuss. Um, sure. but thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, hopefully our listeners, you know, our network got a lot of value from this. Uh, I hope so. But any questions that come through, I'll pass them across to you. And like I said, hopefully we'll do another one soon. Definitely. Thank you All so right. much for having me. Thanks, Nirvana. It's a pleasure.